All right, real talk, real talk. That's what you have to announce when you are going to be serious about something. All right, folks, real talk. At some point, you just got to accept yourself. At some point, you just got to accept. This is who I am, okay? This is it. It's not changing. And I don't mean your job. Obviously, there's plenty of professions you'll never have. A lot of career paths you'll never go down. Fine, fine. But I mean accept yourself. Accept the little things about yourself. Accept the fact that, I don't know, you'll never be a morning person. Either you are a morning person or you're not a morning person. I always thought when I was a lazy kid in the mornings, I was like, but I guess at one point you become a morning person. No, I mean, even if you have to wake up earlier, you don't become a morning person. You know who you are if you're not, and you know who you are if you are. And if you are a morning person, what does that mean? It's so foreign to me. What does it mean? You just get up like your eyes open and you're ready. You just stand up and you're ready to do shit. I don't get it. I mean, the snooze was created for people like me. I don't use a snooze anymore. You can't use a snooze with a five-year-old and a two-year-old. There's no snooze button. You just get up. You have to get up and start doing stuff. And then at some point for me, at some point, like 20, 25, 30, 35, do I hear 40, 45 minutes after I actually wake up from my slumber, then I'm a human. But there's a large chunk of the morning where I'm just zombie mode. The other morning we actually slept in. Usually it's around 6.50 up and at them. But the other morning we accidentally slept in. We don't even set an alarm in this house. We just rely on one of the kids to say something in the monitor or cough in the monitor or scream or cry or laugh in the monitor. And then we crawl out of bed, splash water on our face and say, here we go again. Here I go again on my own. It's like going down the only road I've ever known. But here's really, here's really, here's really what our morning was. I said to my wife, it's 7.08. And then I had this song just going in my head for about 50 minutes until we said goodbye. I didn't even speak to my wife after that until, all right, bye, drive safe, love you, have a good day. I woke up, I went, uh-oh, it's 7.08. And then, you know this song, when your life is in fast forward, when you're in the rat race, when you're just in the blur of life, just that phase where... Everything is too rapid to even process. So you're just like, I'm swept up in it. Let's just get through it. You know that song that plays in your head, right? You know that one. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Um, honey, it's 7.08. So I put on my sweats. And then I open up a bunch of windows and ventilate the house. And then I splash cold water on my face. And nothing's working. I'm still sleepwalking to the coffee maker. I turn that bad boy on, turn the coffee maker on, let that smell fill my brain, let it fill the house, and then I fill up the oatmeal bowls and make a bunch of oatmeal, get the honey, the organic honey, the right honey, the new honey, not the old honey, and sweeten the oatmeal, and then get the bowls of cereal filled with milk, and then make a bottle for the baby, make another bottle for later in the day for the baby, and then make sure last night's dinner is heated up and turns into lunch, it magically turns into lunch, because I microwaved it, added cucumbers bell peppers baby carrots 
and make sure the cereal bowls are filled up to the line that the girls like them with berries on the side and raspberries on the side, strawberries on the side, cantaloupe, honeydew, mango, grapes on the side. Yes, this is too much. It's way too elaborate, but this is what we do. And then I shove the oatmeal in my face, all of it, all of the oatmeal at the same time. And then I get my pills, my magnesium, my vitamin B, my levoxythioxorine for my hypothyroidism. Do I have an enlarged prostate? I got to get an appointment with a doctor who's going to give me a exam where it hurts in my butt, but I keep going forward. I got to use the bathroom, brush my teeth, get those teeth brushed. Get those other teeth brushed, get that hair brushed, find an outfit, ooh it's too wrinkly, put it in the dryer, get the wrinkles out, get the wrinkles out, sunblock, sunblocks and shoes, and shoes, no not those socks, you slept in those socks, we need new socks, are you wearing shorts under that dress, are you wearing shorts under that dress, okay good, get the backpack zipped, do you have ice in the water bottles, you know how ice is needed in the water bottles, and make sure that the lunch boxes are zipped, so nothing's falling out, and nothing's falling out, and there's artwork in the backpacks, you didn't even look at the artwork from yesterday, in the backpacks, fill the coffee thermoses, all 32 ounces of coffee thermoses. Fill it, fill it to the brim, to the brim, to the brim. Now drink it, drink it. Now the eyes start to open. Okay. Now you start to look outside. Okay. Birds are chirping. Cars are driving by. Humans are riding in bikes. Get the girls in the car seats. Girls in the car seats. Oops. My zipper's down. Boogers are in my nose and my breath probably smells. Did I remember to do mouthwash? Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah. You too? Y'all do a little bit of that dance too? We all do that dance. But morning people, they just do it with ease. Morning people, they just, hey, hello, day. <laughs> hello, day. Non-morning people? Where are my non-morning people at? The residue, it's just there every morning. It's like Groundhog Day. You could go to bed with like the most positive disposition of tomorrow's going to be wonderful, and you wake up and you're just like, fuck. It's the first word. You go, oh, fuck, it's 708. <laughs> Oh, folks. And I forgot to mention, we have to still enforce house rules. No toys at the table. No toys at the table. How are you about to tell a five-year-old and a two-year-old no toys at the table? And you know what the toy is lately? It's probably something you don't know. Teeny pings. I've never seen my daughter so obsessed with a toy. I think all parents deal with this at some point. Whether it's G.I. Joe's or Legos, I don't know's. Hula hoops and pogo sticks, but teeny pings? You ain't gonna find these on Amazon, folks. A couple of months ago, you know, there's so many like little kids animation shows on Netflix. Just try one, right? Just try one, see if it sticks. But a couple of months ago, my daughter discovers Catch Teeny Ping from South Korea. I barely know what it's about, but it's one human girl and a lot of little tiny creatures or characters called teeny pings and they're different colors and they're all about mischief and i don't know what's going on but my daughter is vector she's so into it she follows the plot she follows the dialogue she follows the feelings she cares about all of them there's hearts ping there's cha-cha ping there's lala ping there's data ping and all these little south korean creatures just walking around and laughing and jumping up and down and i don't know what's happening and the episodes are fast-paced. I think they're like 12-minute episodes and a lot of things happen. And afterwards, my daughter wants to discuss them and I don't know what's going on. So I probably say dismissive comments like, that's really interesting. So, so the teeny pings are still doing that? But my wife found some South Korean website that's actually selling these things. So now we have the teeny pings in the house and they come everywhere with us. They don't just come to breakfast. They come to the grocery store. 
They come to the park. They come to the playground. They come to Nana's house. The teeny pings are always with us. Catch teeny pings. And every car ride is now listening to the music from the show. And you know something? I realized I love Korean music. All the other shit, no thanks. To the Raffi and the Sesame Street and the fucking Coco Melon. I don't eat it. I don't like it. But catch teeny ping soundtrack. Are you kidding me? We are bumping on the way to Vallecito. We got windows down, baseline thumping. I mean, this stuff gets me going. Who knew? Who knew that I liked that South Korean sound? Give it a chance. Be honest with yourself. How's it make you feel? You can be totally honest right now. Uh, see? I wouldn't lie to you. Catch, catch, tinga. Catch, catch, nariria. Teeny, teeny, shinbaya. Teeny, jiwa, jee. This shit's sick. This is tight. Look at that drum fill. That's some hot disco shit happening right there. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can bob your head. Don't be embarrassed. Let it rip. Catch, catch. Hey. Yeah. Sucks the thing. Mmm. Here's my part. Catch, catch. Tina J. Catch, catch. Nidiria. Catch, Tini Jinbaya. Tini Jiwa. Gee, yeah. See? I wouldn't lie to you. That's just one of the many hits that my life is all about these days. I wouldn't lie to you. I don't lie to you on this podcast. If I don't like something, I say I don't like it. But South Korean music for the Catch Teeny Pink soundtrack, it gets stuck in my head. It creates insomnia, but it's worth it. Have you ever had that song get stuck in your head and you're like, you could stay. You, you know what? You could stay rent free. Get comfy in there. Catch, catch. Ooh, it's so good. Never thought I would like that. I never thought I would like country. See, this is what growing up is. Maybe this is what 42 is. You discover some new things about yourself. You know, I started the podcast by saying, you have to accept yourself. You'll never change. I'm never going to be a morning person. But I used to probably say, I'll never listen to country music. And then I heard this one song and it captured everything about me right now. Right now at this age, I'll just play a little snippet. You've probably heard it if you're a country fan, but this is the greatest song. When you get to your early 40s and you start to realize, you know what? Yeah, not as good as I once was. But damn it, I'm as good once as I ever was. I said, girls, I ain't as good as I once was. I got a few years on me now. But there was a time back in my prime when I could really lay it down. If you need some love tonight, then I might have just enough I ain't as good as I once was But I'm as good once as I ever was Now you gotta listen to the whole song. You know, because he's talking about fighting, he's probably talking about sex, he's probably talking about sports, like a bunch of stuff. He used to be pretty good at some things. That's Toby Keith. And officially the only Toby Keith song I know. But I'm bumping that, too. It's not just catch teeny ping in the house. It's a little country now. And I go, who are you? I look in the mirror and go, who are you anymore, Graybeard? I'll tell you who I am. I'm not as good as I once was. 
at a lot of things. But once, I'm as good once as I ever was really breaking down the lyrics. I don't just like country, I connect to country now. I don't even think I have to get too deep with that. We should get deep with grizzly bears, though. Did you know there used to be more grizzly bears just all around California? Did you know this? And now they're totally extinct? Extinction for the grizzlies happened in 75 years. Is that the quickest extinction ever? Trace it back to the gold rush, 49ers. 49ers, not just the team, but coming out west to get rich. That means a lot of people are coming to this fine state. And that means you probably can't have that many people eaten by grizzly bears if you're hoping to attract people. Because people will be like, whoa, jobs, wealth, prosperity. Count me in. I'm coming from all around. And then you get there and it's just like, oh, oh, there's a lot of bears. So the California lawmakers, some of those bold settlers enjoying their Second Amendment, took it into their own hands and just started shooting grizzlies. Now, don't Google this. Take my word for it. Just started shooting grizzlies for 75 years. So from 1849, the 49ers, to some point in the mid-1920s, all grizzlies were just killed, trapped, eaten, domesticated. No, not really. No one domesticated a grizzly. Maybe? Did one? I hope. That would be an amazing documentary. One settler who came west and domesticated a grizzly. No, they all just shot him because it had to be livable. But there was a span of years. Let's rewind to 1849. There were a span of years where you would wake up, unzip whatever tent house you were in, and then just say, oh, okay, life ends here. There's a grizzly coming after my soup, my morning soup. Yeah, I'm telling you how many grizzlies were killed. There were about like 10,000 grizzlies in California. And right now there's zero. I think there's zero. Those 10,000 grizzlies. See, the way the grizzlies do their podcast. I'm on the human side talking about. And 10,000 grizzlies were killed and the grizzlies went extinct. You tune into a grizzly bear podcast. They're talking shit about. All right. So we fucked up a lot of those humans. And the ones that got away, we moved to surrounding hills. And we started this podcast about the truth of what happened. The truth of the California Grizzlies, because there were some survivors, right? And they didn't see the story like we see the story. We see the story like they got to go. But the Grizzlies were like, we had to eat and we ate a lot of settlers. And yes, the settlers had guns and they thought that they removed us all. But really, we ran into the hills and we're going to reemerge for the world's greatest horror movie plot. Here come the Grizzlies. Remember the Grizzly at Great America? Just a wooden... Uh, roller coaster. I heard it's still there. I honestly heard it's still there. I also heard Great America is closing, and I also heard the edge is not there anymore. The edge, if anyone is understanding what I'm saying right now, the edge was the scariest experience. Go to YouTube and just type in the edge, Great America. Uh, where is it? Palo Alto, San Mateo. But the edge is a ride that takes two to three seconds, and then you're scared for what, three months? I think I was like 11 years old and I was on the edge and the whole way up, you're like, I shouldn't be on the edge. And it's just a free fall drop. That's not the scariest part. The scariest part is what people say in line. When you're in line for the edge, the line is probably what, an hour of just scaring the shit out of yourself. Like I shouldn't be here, but I got to prove myself that I could do the edge and the grizzly and all these things that do not look safe. But the edge always had like, a little mystique to it or like a little history that was unproven. Like, did you hear a guy a few months back got to the top? The bottom just came out. He's buried over there under the demon near the vortex. 
right where Top Gun's going to be built in 15 years. You're like, whoa. Did you hear? I love did you hear. Before Google, you could just say to someone in line at the edge, did you hear a lady about two weeks back? She took this free fall all the way to the bottom, and it kept falling. Fell right through the earth. She's buried all the way back there, where En Vogue is going to play their concert tonight. And you're like, shit, I'm still going to do it. You put a penny on your knee and it floats. Is that the rumor with the edge? The Grizzly was fun, though. The Grizzly, it was like, you know, the roller coaster in Mission Bay, San Diego. Part of it is that you feel unsafe and you wonder, is this going to collapse? Is this just wood and nails? Did someone create this roller coaster with a hammer and some nails? And you're saying... Get back to the Grizzlies. Are you sure they were all shot? 10,000, 100,000? Do you have a figure? I don't. I don't want to go to Quora, and I don't want to go to Reddit right now. I just want to speak to you without the internet. So maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I do believe all the Grizzlies in California went extinct in about 70, 75 years, and that's very quick. But I also like to think about all the settlers who ran into wildlife and how horrific that might be. I get scared. Honestly, I'll get scared if I see a skunk or a raccoon, maybe even a deer. If a deer was five feet away, I'd get scared. I had a student. This is not a joke. I had a student who was falling asleep in class and he kept falling asleep and I had to wake him up. He kept falling asleep. I had to wake him up. I was like, come on, come on, head up. And me, I'm not a morning person, so I can't be like, how dare you fall asleep? How, how could you be tired in my class? I didn't take it personally. I was just like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And afterwards he came up to me. He's like, my bad. I'm so sorry. There was a deer in my house last night. I was like, uh, hold the phone. Pardon me. Explain. And he's like, all right, I was sleeping on the couch in the family room and I like fresh air. So I sleep with the sliding glass door open. And he said, I woke up and a deer was in my face. And he said, I was really spooked for a while. So I didn't get back to sleep. What the fuck? Did he make that up? Did he make that up? I don't care if he did or not. I'm just impressed. If he says that to me, like, sorry, I'm tired, but a deer came in my house and got in my face and I was so spooked. I couldn't get back to sleep. That's like the great, cause he had me laughing. I think that was the hardest laugh I've had all year. And we've only been there. What? Five weeks. The school year is young, but that was a good laugh. I appreciate that kid. Actually, I appreciate him so much. I wouldn't mind if he fell asleep again. Cause I know it's going to be a good story. I know it's going to be a good story, a good story. Or a two-story G. What's a two-story G, you're wondering? Why would you just say that, a two-story G? What's a double-story G? All right. Wherever you are right now, open a book. Look at the lowercase G. Look at it. Any newspaper, magazine, anything you got around you, piece of mail that you're about to throw away, just open up a book right now and look at that lowercase G. They call it a two-story, a double-story G. No one actually writes a G that way. And we're just going to allow that. And we're just supposed to go on with our lives. I had to know. That is something I Googled. Why are all lowercase G's in every book I read the type of G that no one actually writes that way? No one's hand does a little egg and a little leash under that. And then a bigger oval circle. And then a little, little leash and then a little turn. And little, I mean, it's like... It doesn't make sense to me. So I think it goes back to old printer set. Oh, shit. I'm getting it wrong. You, you got to love when I Google something and then try to package it for you, the sweet listeners, and I still get it wrong. So you Google it. But the double story G is a mystery. That ain't great. Maybe when the first printers came out. Thank you, Gutenberg, by the way. There's your history fun fact. A German named Johann or Johannes Gutenberg. Is it Johann or Johannes? 
Scream it right. Scream it out loud. Isn't that what we do when we're listening to the radio or a podcast and the host doesn't have the fact totally correct? We just scream, you idiot. It's Johannes Gutenberg. And his printing press had a double story G because they would have less ink after the H. And the H, which had a high mark sans serif, would clearly leak down. Uh, people know the typeset at that time, the Gutenberg's press. And you're yelling at me because I'm hosting the podcast right now. I'm saying things and I don't have the facts totally right. And you're just like, come on, you idiot. The sans serif Times New Roman Helvectiva, Helvectiva Garamond Calibri font was the first to do the two-story lowercase g. Just look at it and go, yeah, you're right. That's That's the whole point. Just look at the lowercase two-story little egg on top of a little egg with a leash G and go, no one you know writes a G like that. And if they do, you send them to me right now. You send them to me, okay? Because I want to meet the person who's writing love letters with a double story, double egg G. Is that the most meaningless segment of any listening experience you've ever had for me to just attack the lowercase G in books? Well, you lived through it. So now you got a question yourself. How do you feel right now? You feel like you want to listen to some South Korean catch teeny pink catch catch ninaba. Mm, mm, shinbaya. Ah, ah. What am I saying? I don't even know. But I don't need to know. That's the beauty of it. Like MC Solar when I was rapping in French in eighth grade. I didn't know what I was saying, but I knew some French rap and it was so smooth, so damn good. MC Solar. Il est sur la toile depuis le temps de la webcam. En digne hérité de Palais puis de ses cams. Il ne fait que des postes impliqués dans des dramas. On voit monter les vues, mais ça dépendra du karma. Son environnement tient dans un petit écran. À cran était son entourage jusqu'à ce changement. Les papillons lui disent qu'il ne se trompe pas. Aujourd'hui, il tient that was some hot shit back in the day. Didn't know a word what I was saying. MC Solar, les de Je m'appelle Jean Patata Oh, folks, what are we doing? Moms are incredible, aren't they? The way they could decipher what a little kid is saying. I mean, some dads are probably good at it, not me. My two-year-old, she just she says so many words, and I don't know what she's always saying. It's frustrating because she's requesting things. I'm like, what? How, how many candles? Where's the big the big dipper? Oh boy. How's that? The stage show, Mamma Mia, or the movie, Mamma Mia? Uh, I don't know. The other day, she was just saying, "Acado, acado, acado." avocado she's getting pissed at me avocado i was like avocado 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 i was proud of myself i went to the fridge i actually got an avocado cut it handed it to her and she's like avocado you fucking idiot avocado and my wife just came in the room she's like oh she wants to cuddle oh a cuddle a cuddle cuddle with me how cute she just wanted me to sit on the couch grab a blanket and cuddle and i brought her a freaking avocado she also has avocado pajamas. It's the only thing she wants to wear, so they better be clean. Okay, insignificant parts of the podcast. Here's how we end it with a serious rant because I am in full support of a man named Jim Trotter. And if you don't know who Jim Trotter is, this is a brave dude. He's also a great dude. I think he's got Bay Area roots because I know he's a Warriors fan, but I know him from my San Diego sports media days. He used to be the Chargers beat writer. Great NFL writer. I've talked about Jim Trotter before. 
And then he just ascended. I mean, he's written for ESPN. He's written for Sports Illustrated. He's currently with The Athletic. But he worked for the NFL Network, NFL Media. So he was employed by the league. And then at the Super Bowl, I think it was last year or two years ago, there's a Roger Goodell press conference, this annual State of the League press conference with the commissioner, Roger Goodell. And Jim, who's an African-American man, he says, uh, what's up with not hiring minorities for positions in the league office like you said you would? And Goodell's like, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. You know, just trying to be very dismissive at the time. And then Jim keeps grilling him. He's like, well, you said you would hire more people of color in the league offices and executive positions, but it's not happening, Roger. And he's like, well, don't, like in the back of Roger Goodell's head, he's like, don't you work for us? You work for the NFL media. You work for the NFL network. What are you grilling me at the Super Bowl in front of all these people? And the word got out that Goodell wasn't happy about it. And Jim Trotter's higher-ups weren't happy about it. And then what happened? You know what happened. Jim was fired. They didn't renew his contract. And they gave him some bullshit downsizing the budget excuse. But we all know. I mean, connect the dots. The guy got bounced because he challenged the commissioner on something about race. And if you look in every NFL end zone, it says end racism. And you wonder, are they serious about it? Or are these just buzzwords that they think look good? Because we're trying to bring in a lot of audience members. And they already do bring in a lot of audience members. They don't give a shit about anything moral. We know that. I mean, they'll embrace all the alcohol and all the gambling that goes along with the NFL experience. And come on, some of these fights in the stands, I don't want a tangent right now, but it's so ugly. It's so sick. It's so sad. It's so barbaric. It's straight hooliganism. I don't know. I can't even picture bringing kids to that shit an nfl game and if you think i'm just so phased and so influenced by the few videos that get tweeted out every sunday you're right i am i am it's probably a lot of good people who go to games a lot of very friendly season ticket holders enjoying the experience of tailgating and watching the great athletes compete but man it seems like it's so barbaric in the stands that i think it's going to be a better couch experience back to trotter for a moment so what did jim do he's suing he has a discrimination lawsuit against the NFL, and he's calling out owners. He's calling out racism in the NFL, and I actually think this story has legs. What I mean by that is most news stories are in this like 24-hour news cycle where they get replaced, and then something else replaces that to talk about, and then we're talking about something else. You know, Anything scintillating that you think has some shelf life, it doesn't. There's no staying power with any stories, except this one. For some reason, I keep reading about it, and I keep thinking, Jim Trotter is doing something right now that might be historic. Like, let's really expose this league for how racist it is. And it's indestructible. It's invincible. I mean, that's also the part about the NFL. Nothing is ever going to hurt the league. Nothing. They could have refs who fix games. They could have any sort of performance-enhancing drug scandal. I mean, clearly, the NFL is always going to rise to the top. But right now, I think it'd be interesting for the league to just come clean. It won't happen and just say, yeah, some of our practices are straight racist and always have been. There are so many stories from players after their careers who talk about how they were treated and some of the language that exists, how they're referred to. And it absolutely has a little residue of slavery to it. That's extreme, right? That's extreme. Whoa, this is sports. And that was slavery. So there's a major difference. I'm not trying to make such a parallel. And I realize you could say these players are properly compensated. Yeah, but until they're injured, then the contract is in the toilet and flushed away. So the league, the way a lot of players are treated, it's not great. They're pumped up with performance-enhancing drugs and 
pain masking agents to just get out there by all means or else you'll be replaced. I mean, you're just a number. You're not valued in the workplace at all. You could take the biggest superstars you think are in the NFL. They're not really valued because the next superstar is the second string linebacker who's ready to come in. It's the same old story for every team. Their backups and then their practice squad players are probably amazing and ready to rock, ready to go. And they're almost just excited for the next big-time injury, so they finally get their opportunity. I mean, most players have to wait for injuries to get an opportunity in this league. And once you get it, your window is so short. So you're just meat in a meat market. And who's running the show? Well, it's mostly rich, older white guys. So Jim's discrimination lawsuit, it's going to go deep. And here come all the denials from the league and all the owners, and they're so upset. But here's a guy that I once knew, and he doesn't have an ax to grind. He's just going to expose. That's his goal, to expose something as a journalist. And these are... I always love how brave and courageous good journalists are. That's their job in America. That's like the fundamentals of democracy to call out corruption from above because we have that right. Freedom of the press right there in the First Amendment. So this is an incredible journalism story. It's an incredible First Amendment story. It's an incredible guy. Jim is just a sweet man. He's a talented writer, but how's he going to be remembered after, you know, he's probably written thousands of articles. How's he going to be remembered? I think this lawsuit, I think it's going to be a big lawsuit and I could be totally wrong. It could be something that vanishes by next week. But if you want to read up on it, I recommend just Google in the name Jim Trotter and then Google the lowercase G while you're at it. All right. No more Googling. That's it. We're done here. I love you so much. Thanks for listening. To episode 220, leave a nice rating, won't you now? It's in the books, folks. I will talk to you soon. <laughs>